Deuteronomy 30, 15, Proverbs 18, and then I want you to open it up to um, Romans chapter 8 as well, okay? Now, I told you last week, I'll tell you again this, that I'm going to get into some stuff tonight that uh, by Sunday I'll have more information and get into some different things. So there's a... Um, Every service is not the same. I'm not a manuscript preacher, um, never have been, never will be, and uh, that just is not how God works through me. So I, um, I work with uh, how the Holy Spirit wants to move with the crowd that's there. And, um, and uh, so, um, and what he wants to say. So I prepare a lot of stuff. I might only get into portions of it. I might get into all of it. We'll just have to see how the Lord leads tonight. But what I want to do tonight is, is that I want, to, I want to continue from where we left off last week, talking about the tree of life, the tree of death, how that applies into our lives. Remember, the tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, is the tree of death. It produced death in mankind because it was the tree of disobedience. And uh, the tree of life is the tree of obedience. Do what God says, you receive life. All of that is gone. All of it was taken out with the flood. So the Garden of Eden is gone, does not exist anymore. The flood wiped all those trees out. Everything was gone that, was, that had, previously, uh, had previously been there. God gave the law to mankind to bring life to man. And I want you to see this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15. He says this, See, Moses speaking, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Say that with me, life and good. Come on, say it with me, life and good, death and evil. Now, in verse 16, in that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord God shall bless you in the land whither you go to possess it. But if your heart turns away, so that you will not hear, but you shall draw away and worship other gods and serve them, then I denounce unto you today that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land which, um, whither thou passed over Jordan to go to possess." I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you, now watch it again, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, your choice, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, and that thou mayest love the Lord your God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy Look at what the next word is there. He is thy life. Because through his word, you will receive life from the Father, from God. He said, he is thy life and the length of your days that you mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and unto Jacob to give them. All right. Now, I fully believe that when God created Adam, he created Adam to be able to live forever. He never created Adam to die. Death was not a part of God's plan for Adam. But when Adam was disconnected from the tree of life, the source that God was using as an access point for life, 
Adam's DNA began to falter and fail and began to die because of it could not connect to the life source, okay? So it took a long time for Adam to die, but he did die. Mankind continued to die. It took, you know, we have these incredible amount of years that people lived. But our DNA, our, our DNA from God, the creation that God made us, was made to, to not die. But we die because of the curse that is in the world still. Even though God has redeemed us from the curse of the law, we still, death has ruled in our land. It has definitely demonic stronghold. The devil has created a lot of uh, demonic stuff of illness and sickness and disease that we battle through that Adam never, ever had to deal with, never had to deal with any of that stuff. There was no sickness and disease in Eden. There just wasn't. And uh, if there was, we would know about it. God's intent is to continue to find, to create ways for you and I to experience the life we were supposed to get from the tree of life. That is God's intent. Now, he tells us here that I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you the power of my word. I'm giving you my commandments and my precepts. And if you will choose my word, then you will experience life and you will have blessing. But if you choose not to do that, you're on your own. And inevitably, you'll die from it because you can't, you're not experiencing my life and my nature. So God says, I am the source of your life. I want to give you life. I have life to give to you. And so God gives us the law. God later on, this is really powerful. God later on speaks to Moses about a tabernacle. And they build the tabernacle and the tabernacle is a, you know, it's just a big tent is what it basically is. But inside that tabernacle, God creates, this, tells them to create this big veil and that he will reside behind the veil. It's called the, it's the Sanctum Santorum, which I talked to you about last week. It's the Holy of Holies. And so behind this veil, God says, and I'll communicate with you from behind the veil. It's interesting that on the veil would be these two giant cherubims that would be on the, or seraphims, excuse me, that were on each side of the veil. And, and that is actually, you can read all about that if you study the veil, the, the artifacts of the temple. These two giant seraphim that were there. And you weren't allowed to go in, but you could experience what was happening on the other side as God permitted. It's interesting that in the Garden of Eden, when God blocked man from going back in the garden, what did he place at the gate of the garden? To seraphim, right? He put these big angels right there and said, you shall not, you're not coming back into this to get, because he said, if you take from the life. That didn't mean God didn't want mankind to have life. He's just saying, look, that's not going to work now because of what you've done. So what I need to do is create avenues and ways that you can experience my life and my nature in your life because that's what you were designed to experience. You were created to experience my life. And the reason is, is because you didn't have any life until God breathed life into you. So your life and nature came from God. So we talked about on Sunday and last Thursday how that we're in this incredible paradigm where we got away from God, and so all the kickback now that's coming is coming through our flesh. Our comprehension of God is coming through our flesh. 
And God knows that. So what does he do? He creates fleshly ways for you and I to experience his life. Through the word, through the spoken word, through the written word, through the holy of holies. You know, none of those things were there before, but he created all of those things so that you and I could relate to God through our flesh, because that's the only way we could know God prior to Christ's coming. And so we experience God through all these ceremonies and all the different things that they would do and the different feasts that they would do. And, and they, met, they had significance. And, and so they would do these, they would have these great events. And this time once a year where the priest could go in and make atonement and they would kill a goat and take the blood and put the blood on a scapegoat and send that goat off into the wilderness. And your sins, see, it, that's all external, isn't it? It's all external. And, it, and, and what God was saying is that, and he tells us this in Hebrews, these are only types and shadows of what I really want to do in your life. But this is what I had to do to be able to help you until my son came. So I've got to give you these types and shadows, which are just glimpses of my redemptive power and my love for you until my son comes and then he can redeem you and bring you completely back into fellowship with me. The difficulty, and we talked about this a little bit, and uh, hey, Josh, would you do me a favor and bring that board over here for me? And uh, the difficulty that we deal with is that because we've become so attuned to dealing with God, with our flesh as mankind, that our soul has become polluted with ideals and ideas. And those ideas have, you all right? Okay. Just on the floor is fine. Just put it on the floor. I'll just stay down here. So our ideas, what we have come to understand about God is all, is all, it's, it's all backwards. It's basically backwards. We comprehend God through the five senses. That was never God's intention. We're to comprehend, thank you, son. We're to comprehend God through the spirit because God is a spirit. Are you all with me right now? Okay. So he created us in his image. He made this body, but he didn't make this body to rule. But this body separated from God because of sin began to rule. And so our comprehension of God all came through the body. And it really, what it did for us is is that it influenced our soul, which is our mind, will, emotions. So you guys get this on... Thursday. I don't use the board on Sunday. So I didn't. I might this week though. And so what it does is then that begins to influence our spiritual understanding. Now, all right, Christ came and he says, look, I'm going to take sin out and I'm going to make it so that you don't have to know God through your body, through your five senses anymore. I'm going to make it so that you can be in divine connection with the father in a divine relationship with the father. And he tells us, he gives us all kinds of glimpses in John and, and, and shows us ways that he was in relation. He says, look, I don't do anything except what I see my father do. He, he talks about that. This is the relationship I have with the father. And I, and I really laid this out hard and I, and I'm, because I absolutely mean it. If all our Christian faith is to us is making sure we don't go to heaven or go to hell, excuse me, if that's all that it is, we're letting the world system cheat us out of a divine relationship with the Father in heaven. 
See, we're told that eternal life is, is that we go to heaven. Jesus did not teach that eternal life was going to heaven. He didn't teach it that way. Now, you do go to heaven with eternal life, but that was never the divine, that was never his intention. In fact, he tells us, and I I know I've got you in a couple of different places there. Can you turn to one more? Go to John 17, 3 with me real quick. And look at this. This This is amazing. So, you know, we're used to the hellfire brimstone and you're going, you know, receive Christ and, you know, you're not, you're not worthy and you need Jesus in your life or you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn eternally. The worms are going to eat you. You know, you're going to, you're going to just, that's how, that's how this is presented to us. That that's what, what receiving Jesus gets us a pass on hell. We don't have to go to hell. And then when we get to heaven, you know, Saint, we meet St. Peter and we get to go through the gates kind of a thing. <clears throat> but there's a lot of Christians that still wonder whether they'll actually get to go in because whether they were good enough or not. Where is that coming from? That's that old system through the flesh, okay? That's that old system. So Jesus tells us in John 17, as he's, as he's getting ready to go into his great prayer, he says this, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as have come to him. Stop, look up. Okay, so that we are all in agreement that we know Jesus came to, you know, give us eternal life. John 3, 16. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen, right? Everybody say amen. amen. But look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. This is what eternal life is. That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So look, if we're all we're looking at is our Christian faith is, is that we get to go to heaven, then we're missing out on this incredible opportunity that heaven begins for you and I the day we receive Jesus Christ. Because now, all of a sudden, heaven is open to you. Relationship with the Father is open to you. Relationship with Christ to know God is open to you. And it has nothing to do with your works. Your works don't... Your works are an expression of what you believe. They are not the way that you, they are not the con, condition of what you believe. There we go. And in our holiness movement, we have to be very careful because we make works the condition of our faith. If you don't do this, then you really aren't saved. That's a conditional, that is a conditioned response. What God says is, look, I am in you, I am with you, my spirit is connected to you, and now me in you, working through you with my life, I will change your life. So it's a response. It's not just a thing that I believe that I got to do all of this to get somehow my, my relationship with God. God's saying, no, no, you got it backwards. I came and built a relationship with you so that I can help you overcome everything. 
Heaven began, I, I want you to think about this. Heaven began the day you received Jesus Christ. If you're living, now watch this. If you're living any less than that, you're being cheated out of what Jesus came to do. And the church has done an awesome job of helping cheat you out of it. We have. Because there's, there's such an element that we're so afraid that if we don't keep people on a line of getting into heaven and walking with God, that people will just go bizarre. Totally, you know, doing whatever, everybody will just do whatever they want to do. And the truth is, is, is that you cannot change people's behavior just by creating conditions for them. So, you know, we talked about this last couple of times. You give a lot of money to a poor person, unfortunately, they're going to be poor again. Because they don't know how to be wealthy. I'm going to tell you, and you'll, you, you, you may not like this, there's, there's a principle called the law of five. The law of five. You might want to write this down. The law of five. Your spiritual walk with God will be at the level of the five people you're closest to. Now watch this. Your finances will be at the same level as the five people you're closest to. You hang out with, and I'm not saying, well, I need wealthier friends, obviously. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. But we, we could use wealthier friends, right? But see, wealthy people don't handle their money the same way that the average consumer does. They just don't. See, when we have had a poverty thinking in our lives, no matter, we don't, I don't care how it got there, we just had it, we think that we begin to identify our image by the stuff that we have. The wealthy do not base their image off of the wealth that they have. A wealthy person actually believes that they'll have wealth even if they lose all their wealth, they'll have wealth again. Because it's not so much about what's available to them right now, it's about who they are. So you, if you think pulling into this parking lot in a Cadillac, do they make Seville's still? DeVille's or Seville's? Or a, uh, an Escalade? They make that, don't they? If you, or or uh, a Jaguar? If you think that pulling in to the parking lot, I'm going to tell you what, it, it, for a lot of God's people, it would embarrass them to pull into the lot because in a vehicle like that, because they'd be like, people will think bad about me. But if your image is right, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. Why would you? So my point going back to your your attitude, your spiritual life will be like the five people you're closest to. Your finances in your life will run at a level of the five people. I'm not talking about people that you just know. I'm talking about people you're close to. It will affect your health. Here we go. Your health will be at the level of the five people that you're closest to. If you hang around cake eaters, I'm sorry. You're a cake eater. Huh? I mean, that's just the way that it is. It, it's just that it's called the law of five. And it's a, it's a proven fact. Now, like I said, I mean, people that you're close to. So in my mind, I think, well, obviously, I just need 
better friends, right? I need better, I need wealthier, healthier, more spiritual friends in my life. But look, you know, see, that's what, that, that's the deal. See, when, when we're in our lives and we, we're close to people and we value these relationships that we have more than being who God called us to be, we'll be in bondage to that. My five closest friends in college were drunks. Guess what happened to my life? It's the same thing. And I tried to break out of it, but the only way I could ever break out of it was to break from the friends. And I couldn't figure that out. I kept thinking, no, I'll keep preaching to them. And they'll, they'll convert and they'll change. And, and they didn't convert and they did not change. What ended up happening was they did everything in their power to get me to stay at the same level. Now, let me tell you something, and then, and then I'll move on from this. Sometimes it's people in your family that you're very close to that are holding you from being who God called you to be. And you just got to, look, it's not that you ever, you can't get rid of your family. I mean, but you can choose how you listen to them. So you have to make those kinds of determinations in your life. So God says, look, I'm putting life in front of you. I put death in front of you. He said, choose life. I want you to choose life. I hope you'll choose life. I'm doing everything I can to get life to you. Can you say amen to that? All right. Now, look at Proverbs chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Thank you. Proverbs 18. <clears throat> Proverbs 18. And we're in verse, um, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So whatever it is you love to say or, you know, whatever you're speaking, you'll eat the fruit of what you're saying. So if I said to you today, now please don't be offended at me. I'm just throwing an idea out to you that your life today is the product of what you've been saying over the last 15 years. How would that affect you? You'd be like, well, no way. That's not my fault. It's what other people have said about me. Well, that's not true. It's not true. Death and life, according to God, are in the power of the tongue. So I'm not going to get in so much into confession tonight, but just that God is saying, look, the only way you can ever get life is you, you've got to choose to let life rest on your tongue. You've got to let life flow out of your heart. I'll show you a couple other passages with this. Go up to, um, go up to Romans 8 with me. Romans 8, <clears throat> verse 1. Romans 8, 1. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and what's that next word death so what he's saying to you and I is look you have a choice in your life you can be free from the law of sin and death or you can choose to reside under the law of sin and death you can 
be far from God or you can be close with God. If God is our life source, I would say that we want to be as close to the Father as we absolutely can, which means more than Sunday morning church, more than morning devotions. It really does. It means more than uh, just praying to God on your car on the way to work. It means that God is intricately involved in every aspect of your life. I mean, can you imagine Jesus who said that I only do what I see the Father do, that Jesus would say, okay, Father, I'm done with you for a while right now. I'll be back a little later. I don't think so. I think what was for Christ was there was divine interaction. The Father was divinely involved with everything that was happening wherever Jesus was. And I'm going to tell you that for the apostles, I believe that they had that kind of relationship with the Lord as well. You know, it was amazing uh, for the apostles. I mean, they all died. They were all most, uh, they tried to kill John a bunch of times and couldn't kill him. And uh, finally, they had to exile him to an island. These guys died terrible deaths. And from our vantage point, we would look at that and go, oh my gosh, how could you do that? How could you, you know, I mean, you've seen the, the Christian beheadings and things that have happened. I mean, these guys were beheaded. A lot of the apostles, they, uh, one of, Thomas was skinned alive, I believe. He, you know, flayed his skin off until he died. Um, others that, you know, they, they, were, they were beaten to death. They were, their perception, their perception of life was is that life is to be with God. Their perception of, of not dying was only to stay to make sure the gospel was being spread. They were so close to that life source that I don't think it bugged them at all about dying. I don't think that was, I don't think that they were like, oh, oh, this is my day. I'm going to die. This, I think that that's something that has been created through the years by religion and our thinking that, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that we ought to have like a die for Jesus mentality. All right. What I'm saying is I don't think it bothered them. In fact, Paul said, look, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he, then he went on to say, but for your sakes, I'll stick around. So you tell me. Now, it isn't that Paul was saying, I want out of here. I hate my life. I hate the difficulties. I hate sickness and disease. I hate, <clears throat> I hate it. That isn't at all what he said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, according to Paul, according to Scripture. What, and it, he didn't say, man, I want to get out of this body so I don't have to deal with being tired. I want to get out of this body so I'm not sick anymore. I don't, I want to be, that wasn't at all what he was thinking about because he knew who he was connected to. He knew who he was connected to. See, there's no fear in death according to scripture in the book of Corinthians because Jesus Christ has taken the sting of death out. He's taken it out. So we don't have anything that we have to, you know, that we have to be afraid of in our life. I don't think the apostles were afraid at all. You know, when Peter's, uh, they said that um, uh, when they took Peter to crucify him and uh, they took his wife as well. And when they took Peter's wife, according to history, that they crucified her in front of Peter. And Peter, the whole time he was on, while she was hanging on the cross, being forced to watch his own wife die, he kept saying, 
Don't worry about it, sweetheart. You'll be with him real soon. It's going to be okay. You'll be with him soon. I mean, his comfort to her was is that you're going to be with him. Don't worry about. And then they took Peter and they crucified him. And, and you know, Peter, he's like, don't hang me like that. Hang me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to suffer as my Savior did. See, these guys, they didn't, it wasn't that they didn't value life. It's that they weren't afraid of death. Now, should we be afraid of death? Well, no, we shouldn't be afraid of death. But death tries to make us be fearful. You're going to get cancer. You're going to die broke. You're going to, you know, the, on, you're going to get leukemia. You're going to have, you know, uh, diabetes. And you're going to have, look, that, that's all fear tactics of the enemy. It's all fear tactics of the enemy. And the, divine, and the reason that he uses it, the reason the enemy uses that, and I don't know if I have time to get into this tonight, is because it works on your emotional status in your life. Fear is an emotion. And when that works, emotions are hard to get rid of. They're very hard to get rid of. Once they get embedded in our lives, we feel something. It's real difficult for that to, to change in our life. It can change, but it's difficult to change it. And so the enemy wants to definitely keep hammering your life with fear because he wants you to just totally be afraid of everything, afraid of death, afraid of cancer, afraid of your next doctor's appointment, afraid of your, when you get, you know, when you get called into the boss's office. I mean, you know, oh, this is it. I'm going to get, you know, you tell me what goes on in your head when the boss says, I'd like to meet with you tomorrow. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm getting fired. And you might be going in and getting a raise. You don't know what's going to happen. But see how that negative, see, that's that law of sin and death that has worked in our lives. So he goes on and he says, look, this law of the spirit is life in Christ Jesus. Now go to Peter with me. And I'm going to have to wrap up tonight. Um, Go to Peter, 2 Peter. And I want you to see this in chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, verse 2, Paul, Peter is saying here, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain, and what's the next word there? Unto life. Once again, we're back at life. Unto life, which is zoe, which is eternal life. He has given us all things that pertain unto, not natural life, unto spiritual life and godliness. How does he do that? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So here's what he does. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises by these, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he tells us here that, look, Jesus has made a way for you to receive life into your life. The way that that happens is through the power of the word of God, is through the exceeding great and precious promises. Now, if we take this just a tad deeper, the thought is here 
is, is that what you have to do with Scripture is, is that you have to make it not something that you memorize, but something that you meditate on. All right? Memorization will not give you victory. It will not. Just, there are guys that have memorized bunches of verses and have no more victory than anybody else. Because what you do when you memorize is, is that you're just putting it into your mind. You're just putting it into your mind. You know, you're willfully, but you're putting it into your mind. And so it's there, it sets in there. But here's the thing. Our mind, according to the biological studies that have been done, can process about 2,000 bits of information a second, of info a second. Okay? That's our mind. So if we're putting information in, memorizing something, it just becomes another bit of information, okay, that's in our mind, you know, uh, that we, some, something that we know. Your mind can process 2,000 bits of information. Your emotions, the lower level, subconsciously, this is not new age, this is a biological fact, subconsciously can, can, can process 4 billion bits of info. So my point is this. Your mind cannot comprehend God. It just can't. Because it can only process about 2,000 bits of information anyways. So if we're trying to memorize something to understand God, it isn't going to produce anything. It has to move to a deeper level. Now, fortunately, what we ponder in our mind, ponder is a good word, or think about, what we think about moves into this higher level of emotion. That's why Paul said, Think on these things. That's why he said it. Because he's like, look, don't just have it. Think about it. Think on these things. So what do I do? I, I think on the scripture. You know, the, the, if you read the Psalms, you see it revealed there. He's like, I will lay upon my bed at night and think upon your word. I will ponder the path of my feet. Um, uh, you read out of, wasn't that Psalm 1 you were reading earlier? You know, his delight is in the law, the word of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate day and night? Meditate means to ponder. It actually, um, some of you'll know this, it's, it actually is like a cow that chews the cud. That's where the word comes from. You know how a cow, it eats, it's got what, seven stomachs, I think? Three, sorry. So it's got three stomachs. How many ever it's got? It's got a bunch, huh? What has it got? How many stomachs a cow got? enough. Good answer. Now, what does it do? The cow, you don't do this. We would consider this gross, right? I ate a steak, but I spit it back up a little later and chew on it some more, right? Do you consider that gross or not? We call that acid reflux, I believe, right? <laughs> so, like, I mean, you would like be grossed out if you were out, you know, you were visiting with someone and they're like going, 
say, did you just eat? You got chewing gum? No, I just spit up a little of the steak I ate earlier and just chewing it up again. <laughs> Four. Four stomachs, thank you. So you were, you said three. Don't change your answer. Yeah, close. So, so here, yeah, right. So when, we, when we're meditating in something, what we're doing is we're drawing out of it. We're, we're continuing to draw. It's not a one-time draw. It's a multiple draw. And that moves everything into the emotional level. The really powerful thing about, uh, and, I, and I can't get into this too much tonight, but your emotions will react to whatever you got going on in here. Okay? Your emotions, they just respond to what's happening in your mind. So whatever you're thinking about, that's exactly. You know, somebody offends you, you could really work yourself into a lather real quick if you keep thinking about it, right? Now, you know, if you think to just choose not to let it bug you, does nothing, it's gone, move on. Sometimes we do that with Scripture. Sometimes we just decide, you know what, they must be having a bad day. It's no big deal, right? But if you ponder upon what someone does to you, will your emotions begin to react? Yeah, they surely will begin to react because they don't have They Once it's here, it has a controlling factor, but it is what you are thinking on, according to Scripture, is what is affecting those emotions. When it moves into this level because you've thought on it so long, it becomes almost impossible to get rid of. It takes time, a lot of time. And you got to be intentional, intentional, I mean really intentional about it. Well, that's just the way, that's just the way that I, you know, that's just the way I feel. Why you feel that way? I don't know, I just do. Well, see, that emotional level, you've thought something along the way here that's opened that gate up for those, for that to to move to that deeper level. Sometimes, you know, um, they call it the halo effect. The halo effect is, is that you hold something against someone because they remind you of someone else that you knew. Right? So if you had a boss that was like this total jerk, right, and you meet this guy and he reminds you of your boss, you think he's a total jerk. He can't win because you've already thought through that. It's called the halo effect. And so that happens with people. I mean, I've had people take stuff out on me that I never did anything to them, but somebody else did something to them in their life, and I reminded them of the person that did that to them. And so that can definitely, it moves into that kind of a level into our life. Our subconscious is extremely powerful. Now, let's wrap up. You can never outperform your self-image. You cannot. So you always bring your life back to what you what that self that image is. The image should be like God, but it's not because of life. So to get yourself back to that place, God gives us his word, which he tells us his life. And he says, through my word, if you will ponder and you will think on these things, it will move into the subconscious emotional level in your life. And when it does, then you will experience my life. You do not experience life just because you heard a sermon. You really don't. 
It's nice. You might have gotten excited, might have got a little jumpy, you know, got a little woohoo, you know, in the message. Might have been motivational, might have been an insp- but it never will produce anything beyond until it becomes a part of who you are. That's just the way that it is. You know, when I listen to when I listen to a um, would you move that out of the way for me? When I listen to a speaker um, and uh, I know that the way that this is going to affect my, the, the only way that this is going to affect my life is not just because I hear it, but it's going to affect my life because I hear it, I think on it, and I do it. I hear it, I think on it, and I do it. Which means that action will follow. Action will follow. Action will follow because I will repeat what I just learned. Action will follow because I will, I, will, I will carry it out in my life. I will practice what I just heard. That's how I learned how to become a tither. I, you know, when I started tithing, I didn't fully comprehend and understand what tithing was. I mean, I'd never done it before. You know, the church I grew up in, tithing, they gave you a choice how much you gave. Not 10%. You could give a quarter. You could give a dime. You could give a dollar. I mean... You, you pick out your own gift for, that they said was a tithe, which is not because tithe, tithe meets 10%. I learned how to tithe because I heard a message on tithing. I saw it in my Bible. I decided to think on what I was hearing and try to figure out how that I could become a tither. I began to tithe. And when I began to tithe, that's when I, it became real to my life. See, nothing really changes until it becomes action. Right? Look, you can wish and hope for dieting. You can wish and hope for change. You can wish and hope for a better marriage. You know, all that stuff. But it will never, ever change until it becomes actionable things that you're doing in your life. So, you know, when we hear messages, a lot of times, I know it's, it's good information and we're grateful for it. But what happens next? What happens next? What am I going to do with that? How am I going to apply that to my life? And here's the, here's the other thing that, that I think, that I hope I can raise a whole church of people up like this. I'm going to think about that. See, sometimes I don't think we think. I just don't think we're trained to think in society. We're just trained to hear and do. You know, hear it and, parody. yeah, huh? Par- yeah, parody, yes, great word. So we don't think about stuff. I mean, I wouldn't care if somebody came up to me after service and said, well, I don't see what you're talking about. At least they're thinking about it. Right? Instead of, you know, that we're just, it went in, it went out, it's gone, we go on, right? How does it apply to your life? What are you going to do after this message tonight? How's that, how are you going to think about this? I've had some people just the last couple of weeks tell me, man, pastor, these messages, they're really making me they're making me think. I got to really think about this. I got to think of, you know, and sometimes it hurts to think. You know why? Because you don't do it. Because we're not trained to think. You, you realize that about 85% of what you do is on remote control. Let me ask you a question. All right. We'll just do that. We'll just walk through this. What time do you get up? Why you get up at five? Okay. Get up in the morning. Um, now keep it clean. What's the first thing that you do when you get up? We, we'll say, we all know everybody goes to the bathroom, okay? So 
We all know that. All right. But beyond that, what's the next thing you do? Do you do the same thing pretty much every morning? Okay, so you're heading to the shower. After shower? You get in the car. You don't go get coffee? You're not a coffee? You don't eat breakfast? Okay. Okay. So you do, do you brush your teeth and all? Yes. Okay. Now, do you think in the morning when you get up, Oh, here's what I got to do. I got to shower. I got to brush my teeth. I got to do my hair. I got to put my makeup on. I got to get my clothes on. And then I got to go get in the car. And then I got to drive to work, right? You do it because it's habit in your life. And 85% of what we do as people is exactly that. It's a proven fact. Our eating habits are 85% of them are just habit. We don't even know it. You know, we just will reach for stuff without even thinking about it. Right? It's, it is, and it's a mindless, and I, it is mindlessness in, in a way. But, you know, I mean, when I get up in the morning, I got a routine. You got a routine too. I mean, I see some of your posts. I can't make it without coffee in the morning. You know, so I know exactly where you go first thing. Coffee coffee. You got to have your, you're, you're down and I got to have two cups. Everybody don't talk to me until I have my two cups of, you know, of sanctioned addiction, right? It is. It's a sanctioned addiction. So uh, it, it's, it's habit in our life. How are we going to ever change any of that? We got to think about what we're doing. I mean, you know, maybe you get up in the morning you, you change some stuff. To, maybe you took your shower tonight and you get it. I mean, it's just stuff that it's amazing. And it confuses the daylights out of you when you change stuff like that. Right? You're not comfortable. What? Sleep on the other side of the bed. I can't do it. Right? I've got this side creased out just right for me. Right? My, my form in there. But, but my point is this, is that, see, that's what the word is supposed to challenge our thinking. But we got to think about it. We can't just go, well, I got my Bible, brought it to church, got to, you know, listen to the message, looked up the verses. How about you go home tonight? And when you go to bed, you lay in bed and you think about what you, what today, what you learned. You think about where you want to be. Some of you are going to go home tonight and think about your five closest friends. Oh, you will. You just will. You'll think about their health. You'll think about their wealth. You'll think about their spirituality. Uh, hey, good. At least you're thinking about it. And then you'll figure out what's the next step. God will help you. Amen. Stand up with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I promise by Sunday morning I will learn a lot more, so... Thank you, Father. Lord, I, I know we joke around about stuff, Lord God, in the emotional area, that, but I know how real that is. Stuff that we have just believed our whole life, Lord God, that is so untrue. Things that have been said to us through the years, Lord God, by others that we've allowed to influence our thinking about ourselves and about what we can do and what we can be, and God, that it's created fear, and, I, and it's real. It's real stuff. Father God, I pray tonight for your people. 
Lord, that as we think on these things, we think on your word, we think on where, am I experiencing the fullness of a relationship with Christ? Or am I just experiencing fire insurance? Well, I'm going to heaven. Or is it more? Is it part of every aspect of my life? Am I letting Christ into all the areas of my heart and life? Father God, I just pray tonight, Lord, that our thinking would be challenged. That, God, we would not be stuck, Lord, spiritually, stuck financially, stuck physically, health, health uh, in our health. But, God, that we would have just this awesome perception of that all things are possible, unlimited potential that is available to us through the kingdom and through your word, Lord God. And it would activate in our lives, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we would not allow the excuses of the past to rob us from the incredible potential in our future. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go tonight, I want you to tell two people something you learned. So you turn to them. Tell them something you learned here tonight. And then God bless you. Have an awesome evening. you